Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is your host, Steve Fielder. Coming at you one more time, this old gravelly voice will make it an hour, I hope. I've just about worn it out out there in those White River bottoms. Uh wasn't really calling a dog, uh, but uh, when you go to Arkansas, you say sui a lot, so maybe that's what maybe that's what happened but anyway i'm really excited today well not real excited but i am pleased to have a couple of buddies with me here we're calling this episode the good bad and the ugly now you you listeners out there will have to decide which one of us is the good one which one's the bad one and fortunately you won't be able to see us, so you won't really know which one's the ugly. But anyway, I've got Keston Jesse from the state of Virginia, and I've got Nubbin Moore from the state of Alabama. So uh, we should have a good time, fellas. How's everybody doing? How are you, Keston? No, I'm doing good. Doing good. Deer season's over. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. I hate to say it go, but I'm sort of happy it is to be able to sleep in a little bit, start coming out more. And uh, I've had it pretty hard. Didn't kill nothing. I still two weeks. Uh, no, it's it, it's in a week. Uh, the light muzzle comes in, and I believe it lasts two and a half, right at three weeks, something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. it's pretty tough hunting during the late season. I, I will hunt some, but nothing like I was during November. Nubbin, how about deer season? You doing any deer hunting? Oh, no. I quit deer hunting a long time ago. Yeah. Well, uh, your son, you know, Jeff. You know, won't eat deer meat, so if you're not going to eat it, and it's no use cooking it just for me. It's just the two of us here. So, anyway, it's mm-hmm. no use to kill it if you're not going to eat it. Well, that's for sure. Uh, you had a little roadkill out there about a year ago or so. Oh, yeah. Did well, you get the back straps off that one? No, I did. I thought about it, but I didn't do it. <laughs> it, it what, hadn't been on the road long. Yeah, fresh off the grill, right? Fresh off the grill, <laughs> yeah. I got grill. a, a roadkill cookbook around here somewhere, and that's the name of it, Fresh Off the Grill. It's got all kinds of recipes for possums and armadillos and all kind of good stuff. But, uh, well, Kesson, you say you didn't kill nothing. That doesn't mean that you didn't see some bucks. No, I've seen several deer. I'm I'm more of a horn hunter, I guess. It has to be pretty big before I kill it. But I've seen a lot, I a lot of deer go that will be good for next year. I'm, I'm just real picky. Well, I guess if you're a trophy hunter, and you've killed several deer, which you have, I'm I'm sure, haven't you? Oh yeah, I got a whole room full of deer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nubbin, you and I both have kind of been pretty much hound hunters. Uh, I know you do a little turkey hunting, don't you? I do. I hunt with my son every spring. We go stay a week somewhere every year. Yeah. I told Becky a few years ago. Oh, it's been 12 or 14 now. If I'm ever going to spend time with my son, I'm going to have to start turkey hunting. So I did. And yeah. we've been we've been everywhere turkey hunting. And I've killed well, a few. I've, I've got the Grand Slam of turkey hunters. That's what they call it when you kill each species that's in the U.S. There's four of them. So I've killed that, and I'm not even a turkey hunter. <laughs> my son says I slip up on him and ambush him. But I've called some of them up, but he don't believe me. 
<laughs> He's a turkey hunter. I'm not. My brother. <laughs> I have to tell this one, and I'll try to dress it up a little bit for our audience out there. We always try to kind of maintain a little bit of uh, dignity on this show, you know, not get way down there in the gutter with our language or anything, but my brother... <laughs> is the luckiest guy in the world when it comes to hunting. The first time he ever went deer hunting, he killed an eight-point. He sat up on the hill about froze to death and decided he was going to the, to the uh, truck. And by the time he decided he was going to go here, this deer walked out in the field right in front of him. He shot it. He went and got the truck, pulled it up there to the deer, and some other hunter come along and helped him load it in the back of the truck. He brought it by the office to show me. He said, man, this deer hunting's easy. I don't know what the big deal is about. It. But anyway, the first day he ever went turkey hunting, his father-in-law took him. And, and David is a is a real hunter. I mean, he uh, David Taylor from there in Tazewell, Virginia. And uh, they went out there and they got out of the truck. And as we will sometimes do, uh, nature will call, and uh, sometimes we have what the uh, cultured set would call flatulence. In other words, we got a little gas there. He had to relieve himself, and when he did, the turkey gobbled. <laughs> and my brother said, I know where that turkey is. I'm going to sneak around, and he goes up makes a wide circle and comes in behind that turkey and ends up killing that turkey the first day. And, of course, his his father-in-law was calling for him. But uh, so anyway, little brother, he's lucky when it comes to deer and turkey, and he's caught a lot of coons over the years too and a few bears. But uh, I don't know. I've turkey hunted and uh, enjoyed it, and uh, uh, but – if it's not a, not treed by a dog, I don't have a heck of a lot of interest in it. But uh, that's hard to well, make up on. Yeah, a I said that's hard to do. Snake up on a turkey. Yeah. Well, you just uh, don't you just go here, here, turkey, here, here, here. Yeah, yeah. You know, if a turkey could smell, you never would kill one. No, because they can mm-hmm. see way too good. They whistle. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what they go on. Yeah. If, we, if you move, they're gonna see you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if if they're if they're inside thirty, forty yards, I mean, you you just barely move. I mean, you move your finger like that, and they'll catch it. Oh yeah. And- well, you know, the thing that was always kind of a mystery to me is I've heard people say that raise domestic turkeys that that they're dumb and you have to put shiny objects like marbles or something in their feed to get them to peck at the feed so they will eat. Have you ever heard that at all? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. But when you go out and talk to a turkey hunter, they say they're the most wary, smartest bird in the in the world. You know, so they're they're I smart. I, I'm telling you, I I wouldn't call it smart. They just got a real good eyesight. Mm-hmm. They they are that survival of the fittest deal. They're well equipped to to be on the lookout for predators and all that. I got one right here that I managed. Yeah, yeah. They, he's Keston showing a full mount here. We can't yeah. see that, Keston, 
but I can, and that's a nice turkey right there. It is there. a nice got a big, yeah. Got a nice beard on him and all that. But let me see if I can call him up. Yeah. Does that sound Beauty. like a turkey? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty I good. used to be pretty good before this old voice. I can't even. I, I was telling my granddaughter the other day, I, I used to could sing. I sing, sang in church and choir and all. Now I sound like a frog croaking. So, but Nubbin still sings. He sings solos in church and all that. But man, yeah, most of them so low you can't hear them. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Hey, well, you know, I got my American Cooner magazine. I'll give a little plug to Terry Walker, uh, CNH Publishing out in Cesare, Illinois, uh, publishes the American Cooner magazine. And that thing has been around forever. Uh, unfortunately, like everything in print media nowadays, it's not quite as big and as uh, full of ads and all as, as it used to be, but I write a column in there every month now. It's called Gone to the Dogs with Steve Fielder, and I've, I've been pulling a lot of uh, questions uh, from, reader, uh, from listeners and uh, answering them in the format uh, there in the magazine, and and so if if you like your Kunao news in uh, uh, hard form, hard copy form, something you can hold in your hand instead of look at it on the screen, you'll uh, you'll enjoy American Cooner. They do a good job. Uh, John Wick was a writer for many years for Cooner, and he's retired now. And uh, but I told. Terry, I would uh, I'd try to continue to write, you know, as long as I can. So if if you enjoy uh, stories and news and ads and all that kind of stuff, but I just saw the issue that came out uh, featuring the 2022 UKC World uh, Championship that was held over in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Now Nubbin and I have worked exclusively with that hunt well not myself wasn't exclusively but i did work with that hunt for many years started as a field rep way back in 78 nubbin what year did you start as a rep do you remember i i don't really know what year it was in the late 80s i'm gonna say uh-huh. 87 88 something like that yeah and then Were i you born up. yet Keston. i was born yeah and no, no guess, Keston probably wasn't born. I was born in 94. Oh, see there, man. Yeah. 94, I was still at UKC, but kind of, that wouldn't be long. 98 is when I went to uh, PKC. Yeah, and, I, and while, I was, yeah. I was still on as a rep, field rep in the mid-90s. I think I quit, I don't know, around 95 or so. I'm going to say 95. Yeah. Just got, yeah. got to work it's too much. Well, Jerry Mall, who worked as the field guy at PKC after I left there, um, posted a couple pictures today that I really enjoyed because it showed the uh, PKC Breeders Showcase in 2001 at Aurora, Kentucky. Listeners have heard me talk about the tennis center many times have done podcasts really that featured that. I had uh, Rusty Jones on 
and and he remembered his days at the tennis center as the youth uh, hunt uh, was held there each year. But Jerry had posted a couple of pictures and was the point being trying to pick out people you knew in those photos. But this is a big building, a big building, and it was packed to the rafters, as they say, from front to back, side to side, with coon hunters for the Breeder Showcase. And those were the days for me. I, I started PKC in 98, and I left there in 2004. So that was kind of right in the middle of, of the time that I was there. What year did you come down, Nubbin, and we, we uh, visited for the first time in several years? Uh, you know, I don't remember what year. It was uh, in the late 90s, I would think. Mm -hmm. uh, was well, I, I lived there. Yeah, I was huh? working in Kentucky and, of course, had the weekend off, and I drove over th for the weekend, which was 100 miles or so. But, then, yeah. you know, that was it had to be them because I retired in 06. When I was 65, I retired and quit, quit doing all that traveling around working. But mm -hmm. but it was it was in Kentucky. I remember that, and I'm gonna say early '90s. Yeah, I sure remember you being there, and uh, uh, it was quite a quite a deal, quite a deal. A lot of people there, and uh, a lot of people that I remember. And you know, I bet you if I went to a large gathering of PKC hunters today, I wouldn't recognize probably a, a third of them. <laughs> Uh, but back then, you know, you've soon, you knew all the regulars and all the people, you know, that made up the bigger hunts and it, uh, it was a great time. It really was. I don't think there's ever been as far as, you know, the opening ceremonies and all the people in the building and all the stuff that was going on. I don't really think there's ever been a, a hunt quite like that, but, uh, but I was looking through this cooner here. And uh, Keston, you've always been kind of here in the last few years or through a few months. My source of news, you kind of follow the social media and the, and on these dogs and everything. But this little female that won the UKC World Championship, this uh, uh, Get Gone Jenna, it's owned by Cheyenne Cummings and Tyler Compton out in Missouri, handled by Tyler. Man, she's a good-looking little heifer and uh, really did a great job at that world championship. Uh, have you followed anything on that dog, Keston? Uh, I listened to his podcast. I can't remember uh, who it was. I think it was Josh McCallus done a podcast with him. Yeah. <clears throat> That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I looked at the scorecard. They published the scorecard, you know, and that's always kind of the – the it's where the rubber re meets the road. You can really tell how the hunt went. And uh, man, I mean, <laughs> she, uh, of course, there was uh, four dogs in the final cast, and everybody knows how these world hunts work. They start off with the qualifiers, the RQEs, and then they move into the zone championships or the zone quarterfinals, we used to call them. There's more than four now. Uh, but anyway, she uh, was hunting against a six-year-old male walker, a three-year-old uh, male walker, uh, 
and uh, also a five-year-old male walker. So she was the only female in the cast. <laughs> but she had two first strikes and three first trees. She had one 25-point strike. She totaled 600-plus for the two-hour hunt. So that that's pretty darn impressive, I think. Uh, anytime you can you have one dog that withdrew and the other scores in the cast were 150 and 125. So that's she made a statement there. Wouldn't you say, Nubbin? I would, yes. She'd bound to have been getting off by herself and treating them raccoons. Yeah, she showed to be a strike dog, you know, with two firsts. Now she oh, yeah. apparently had to be struck back in on a track, I guess, that was open and uh, there for a quarter, maybe in on the same original track. But uh, just a shout-out to those guys, you know, for winning the world championship and doing it in a significant way. Uh, I looked at her pedigree. Here they posted all of that. And... Uh, she was out of uh, a dog called Bones Backwater Banjo, and he was out of Bone Collector and uh, Kaufman's Backwoods Barbie. I don't know anything about that female. Then on the bottom side uh, was the Mafia's Redneck Baby was her mother. Redneck Mafia was her sire. And then Rat's High Country Inn. So I imagine the rat. High country and female was a rat attack dog, maybe either directly out of rat attack or, or down the line somehow. But anyway, world hunt time's always exciting time of the, of the year. Do you remember much about the world hunt snubbing? Uh, yeah, years ago, uh, it's a lot different what it is now. Uh, I went to several of them, hunted in them. I got in the top twenty, and I think it was eighty five. And uh, my dog was wore out hunting every night, and I didn't have him in shape to compete the whole week. So the last night he was he 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 never before I I raised him and I'd never seen him not hunt till that night, but he would just give out. But the next year I had him in shape, but I didn't get the brakes to get in there. That's the way it goes. A lot of luck too. A lot of drawing the right places. Well, I think that's definitely the case with coon hunting. And uh, I think we saw a little bit of that at the White River this year. It seemed to me like the guys I talked to in the, the post and so forth that I've seen on social media since we got back, that coon, it depended on where you were. Uh, some of the boys seemed to get into coons, and then others didn't. And uh, it seemed like the coon population was not consistent across the board. But now, now hey, we did talk to this. It yeah. could have had a little bit to do with dog power, too. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> we can't go there now, man. We took our dogs. What do you mean, dog power? Well, it, that's what I said. I don't. I told. I told a guy from North Carolina, we need to swap dogs. He just like that's right. Now we made well, you a, know we those trees. We made a lot of big leafy trees, and and we made a slick persimmon one night. You know, not, that's unheard of in coon hunting, isn't it? Slick persimmon. <laughs> 
Do you have persimmon not. trees in Virginia, Keston? I'll just be honest with you. I, I don't even know what they are. I don't. I wouldn't know if I walked by one. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're not a big tree, and usually the the leaves fall off of them pretty early, and they have a round fruit on them. That what would you describe it? More like a peach? No. Well, it could be like a peach, and it's hard to start with, and then it gets soft. When it falls off the tree, they're edible. When they're, they're green, they're not edible, but they taste good. And the coons and deer, any all the wild game like eat to eat the persimmons. And but the, the problem with uh, any coon hunter that hunts where they grow knows that they dogs most of the time don't have a coon when they tree. That's right. On most, a of time, tree. most of the time they're slick. I remember one time years ago, we have a guy named. Gary Neal Hayes, we called him Frog. His dog tree, and we walked up the tree, and he got a limb, was fixing to whip his dog, run him off. I said, Frog, shoot that coon before you whip the dog. And he said, what? <laughs> there was a coon up there, but you usually don't see one up there. What's your theory on it? Why do you think they miss on them? Uh, I don't know, unless they eat them persimmons and get it all over their feet, and then when they come down, the dogs don't smell them. That's what I think, but, you know, I don't know. But a I lot think of the dogs are trained, it's slick. It's a slick trade. Sometimes you see a possum or a coon up there, but most of the time you don't see anything. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the popular consensus that the, the, they get that scent on them, and it's it must be fairly intense, and uh, it just cancels out their natural odor. Uh, that's the only thing I can explain, but they sure enough will – tree slick on a persimmon I saw on our uh, first grand slam hunt that we had at UKC. It was at Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And uh, we had some plus points, and then we ended up, we had no plus points because they treated on a persimmon tree. And then we had to keep walking. The one, the one dog had minus out, and we were down to a two-dog final. And uh, we we tried hard and went through all the overtime periods and ended up paying the money on on minus points, or maybe it was circle points. But at any rate, we did not have a, a total score plus because of a persimmon tree. They treed on a hillside in a pasture field, and there was an oak tree, and then there was this persimmon tree, and then there was a pine and the persimmon was between the two, but it didn't touch either one of those other trees. And the dogs thought that, that they were, uh, they had him, you know, and sounded good too. But right. Oh, they'll tree hard on them persimmon trees now. Well, you that's know, kind of, yeah, go ahead. Those persimmons, after they get ripe, are real good to eat. They're good and tasty. And they make good wine too. Mm-hmm. Well, if anybody knows how to make wine out of something, you do. That's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, this was funny. Another little story. One time my dad and, and a guy that I grew up with back in West Virginia, we went out on a Sunday afternoon and took what you boys in the South would call croaker sacks. we call them burlap bags or sacks. We had found an old homestead way out on this uh, point of a, an, an old strip mine and we'd been coon hunting in there uh, probably the night before 
And it those there were apple trees around there, and they were just full of apples. And I don't remember they were a red apple. I don't know if it was wine sap or red delicious or what. But my dad loved apples. And he said, we're going to go out there and get those apples for some. They all fall off and the game gets them or somebody else does. <laughs> we carried these uh, sacks and, man, we loaded ourselves down with apples. We had all we could carry. And I don't know how far it was to walk, but it was a long way. But on the way, we found a persimmon tree. And my dad played a trick on, on Herb. Now, Herb... Uh, it's not your average uh, bumpkin. He he uh, retired uh, as a brigadier general in the uh, it was either the Air Force Reserve or the Air National Guard. But anyway, he convinced Herb to take a bite of a green persimmon. Have you ever done that, Nubbin? Oh yeah, but it you don't, one time's all you'll do it. <laughs> that thing you could take one bite of it and it will instantly dry up every ounce of saliva in your mouth where the inside of your mouth feels like sandpaper and it will turn your mouth inside out I mean it's a bad deal (laughs) so This goes further. So we go that evening, as was our custom, we always went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was the routine at my house when I grew up. There was a lady named Mary in our church, very sweet lady. And she would always kid around with us and stuff. And we were fairly young then. Herb brought in a green persimmon. And said, oh, Mary, you got to try these. These are the best thing I've ever tasted. And he got her to take a bite of that thing. <laughs> Never forget that. I don't think she probably ever forgave him either. <laughs> not. But anyway, when I was at PKC, they used to come in the door and I'd say, how'd you do? And they'd say, ma'am, all we did was tree fruit tonight. <laughs> that meant they treated those persimmon trees. Well, Nubbin, let's talk a little bit about a White River trip this year. Uh, people know that we go every year. I, I counted up. My first year was 2010. So that actually made this my 13th year. You'd think 22 would be 12. But That's true. We didn't trade count all the years. 13 unlucky. So that was the 13th year. Lucky, lucky 13. Mm-hmm. Keston, we've talked about you while we were out there. We've talked about we're going to have to get you out there. Hey, I'll go. I like to go. <laughs> hey, hey, something, though, that I noticed you said a big wavy trees. The waves ain't fell off down there? No, not all. No, well, not, not some of them are. Except I told Miss Ella today. Yeah, I told Miss Ella today. I said I got to go through our fall color tour all over again because the leaves were all just just turned nicely, oranges and yellows and stuff. Of course, it's flat. It's not the mountain views like you got in Virginia, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's still a lot of leaves out there right now. What time of year? What time of year could you go out there and miss all the leaves? Like not have no leaves. 
Well, I don't know. Coming no. off now. The leaves are coming off, but they're not all off. There's some on the ground, but you know, there's still plenty up there. And if you don't have one of them heat sinking things, you ain't going to find them. Most, you know, sometimes, and I tell Steve here, coons are easier to find if they're up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah we've always not. been challenged in that, that regard. Well, but, Kess, you need to know that, you know, that. Refuge is not open year round. I think it closes. Probably is it the end of this month, Nubbin? Yeah, end of yeah, end of December. I See, it opens been, about the seventeenth of November. The North Unit, and then one pars, uh, portion of that called Kansas Lake closes the first of December. And that's when the South Unit opens. And the South Unit's only open for two weeks. So that's where most of the guys are hunting right now. It's, as we're recording this, it's the 7th. By the time this airs, the, uh, well, it'll be real close. This one will air on December 12th. So they'll be pretty close to shutting it down. Uh, as far as the south unit, and then they can still hunt the north, I believe, to the end of the month. Have y'all right. ever hunted the south unit? Yeah, yeah, we did this year, part of the part of the time. Yeah, yeah, we hunted what two nights, I think. Yeah, yeah, we had intended to hunt more, and then I think everybody just kind of after about five nights. Uh, everybody just kind of started saying, well, it's going to rain tonight, maybe. You know, we were, we were going to have to make a little switch in our lodging uh, because of a prior commitment. So the place we usually stay, we could only stay five nights this year. So we were going to have to move up the road about, um, I think it said about a mile. And as we were kind of getting everything around to – to move it was like a snowball pretty soon we were all talking about going home so that's what we did well they started but, talking uh, about it's going to rain so I mean that's what started us to think since we're packing anyway why don't we go home and that's what we wound up doing but you know Keston yeah. we did hunt two nights on the south unit uh, big pretty woods uh, but a lot of hunters there was a lot a lot of hunters uh, seem to me like more hunters than they've ever been. You know, you could hear dogs in several areas just about any time you'd listen. But, uh, well, you know, you know there. Well, we've kind of caught some flack nubbing over the last few years, and I'll take maybe most of the blame for that about telling people about the White River Refuge. I... Maybe I'm a little different than people, other people. That doesn't belong just to me, although I'm a public landowner, as are you and as is Keston and everybody else. That belongs to us, to everybody. And, you know, I was invited out there, but, you know, that the way I look at that is I was invited to go as that part of that group but I could have gone out there anytime I wanted to, and there was no way anybody could have stopped me because it's public land. It belongs to the United States. But, of course, when you're invited by a group of people and they've 
you know, um, and you've been ushered into that group, so to speak, you want to respect that. And I do. I still do. But anyway, I believe, Nubbin, you may disagree with me here. I believe there was more hunters out there this year than I've seen in the last five years combined at the White River. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of them. You know, everywhere we went, you you see a truck on the side of the road or you'd hear a side-by-side running, you'd hear dogs treed. The dogs would come to, one time a dog, Kate was treed by herself and there was a walker dog come to her. Of course, it was a slick tree. We didn't find a cone. So we pulled my dog off and left and that dog stayed treed over there for a couple of more hours. And uh, I guess somebody finally come in there and got it, I don't know. But that said, you know, I saw where uh, a guy from West Tennessee posted the other just yesterday, whatever, that there was a hunter behind every tree. But we still, the nights that we hunted on the North Unit before the South Open, we didn't encounter a lot of hunters up there. I mean, there were a few, but yeah. we didn't encounter a lot of hunters. And I no, remember, I always remember. My dog, when I had old Hoss, when he first went out there, he was a joiner. If he wasn't doing anything and he heard dogs tree, it was party on. You know, and I and I would get phone calls or I'd follow the Garmin and I'd have to go around and get him, you know. So I I remember Coy Sullivan uh, one year called me and said he had the, the dog had come to his tree. And I remember he had the... Uh, Jesse Jane female was just a pup in his box uh, that night that I went around and picked up old Hoss. But uh, I don't know. It just seemed to me like, especially when we went down into the south unit there in an area that we don't normally hunt, that hunters were were just everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was plenty of them. <clears throat> Y'all don't know about somebody picking your dogs up? No, I I have not ever heard of any experience of anybody picking somebody else's dog up, uh, you know, with the intent to steal the dog. No, I I maybe somebody else can uh, can enlighten us on that, but I have never heard of that happening. Just no, the opposite. I, I haven't either. Normally, it's, it's all coon hunters, and they got dogs in the woods and. They're worried about their dogs getting up with them, and sometimes they get behind water. I don't know if that one female got behind water or what, but it stayed treated over at least two more hours after we left. Yeah. Was that the real hard tree dog that you yes, were Yes, it was a nice tree dog. Did, yeah. You would have you paid admission, Keston, just to sit there and listen to that dog tree. Oh, yeah. I, you know you know me, I uh, like a good hard tree dog. Mm-hmm. Man, and I was with Mark Miller, and that was the night that uh, we decided to come back and leave the side-by-side at the, at the lodge and go back, uh, just hunt off, off the road, pulling off the side of the road. And, uh, man, that dog was treed back in there, and nobody ever did go to uh, I don't, her or him, I don't know which, uh, while we were there, and it was just solid every oh, yeah. breath, ringing she, she like a bell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it's a big country, Keston, 166,000 acres. 
and that flat country, the sound carries a long way. So, uh, you know, but uh, boy, on Thursday night, though, when the South, you know, everywhere, we had gone out and scouted that day. Was it that day we scouted or the day before? The, the day, I think it was the day before. Day before. And, uh, man, every place we had marked on the on Onyx, um, there was already a group of hunters there unloading their side-by-sides or four-wheelers and getting their dogs ready. And so we went all the way. We kind of went to the end of the road, so to speak. And, um, and we ended up, uh, there was a group of hunters that uh, came b- uh, around us. That's when we, right off the bat, man, we had a good track and it sounded good and we got treed, had four dogs, had Kate. Nubbins Walker female had Marks, two dogs, Dixie and uh, Crockett, and then the the plot that he and I owned together, Fever, and they got all got treed together, didn't they, Nubbin? Oh, Weren't yeah. they all together? Yeah, they was. Mm-hmm. And that's where there was nothing up there except that's, persimmon. That was that, that first persimmon tree. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from a real high high. To a pretty low, low, right out of the box. Well, do y'all go around the same time every year? Do y'all think maybe that was the difference this year? Y'all maybe went a day or two earlier, later, and more people are. I don't, really, I don't know. I, no, I don't think that had. It's just when the thing opened, people, people from all over. You see people from several different states there, you know, because you know, just like Steve said, they've heard about the place. Uh, read about it in the magazine, coon hunting magazines, and then they think, well, we need to go out there, and then they show up, and uh, they look at the map. And you have those. We had those years ago. Now That's nothing new. There's always been people out there. I've been going out there for years, and there's always been people there, but it seems like there's more now. Yeah, But another problem out there is water. You know, that's low land. And there's lakes and there's sloughs and a lot of places you can't get to your dog unless you go way around. I know my buddy Keith Durkee went with us this year and he went to the, his dog was a thousand yards and he walked by himself in our tour. And when he came back, he went a little left-handed and got behind a lake. And I could see his light over there through the woods and he wasn't coming to the truck no more. He, he kept going to my right. And I thought, what is what is he doing? And then as I drove, I just kept following him on the road because the road went down beside that lake, but he was behind that lake and couldn't cross it. He had to walk all the way to the main road and then come around the end of the lake. But, you know, that's one of the problems out there, too, is water. Yep. But it's still a lot of fun. It's a lot of, lot of woods, a lot of game most of the time. Of course, I tell Steve it was dog fire this year. Uh, but, <laughs> I think you're and, right. You know, we're, we're older than we used to be, not like you, Keston. Uh, after to me, after we make three or four trees, I'm ready to go to the cabin anyway. <laughs> so a lot of guys hunt hunt most of the night. You know, by ten o'clock, I think it's time to go. But, <laughs> well, we usually start off the night thinking, you know, we're going to hunt. Two o'clock, three o'clock, and all that. But if we're out that late, there's something has happened, and and we did have a couple of uh, instances. Yeah, somebody stuck somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you got somebody stuck in. Well, we'll just kind of go down the list and say, I think the first uh, episode that we had was uh, Jamie and Trey Perrin from there in Alabama, who live close to you, know them. They have uh, been. This is their second year to be in camp with us, and uh, they hunt a couple of Walker dogs, Boomer and Buster, and uh, I. Were you hunting with? Jamie, the night buster, decided to go down that steep bank on the lake. No, uh, I, I don't. I think Durkee might have been with him, and Kevin was with him. Kevin Phillips. Yeah, Kevin Heron. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Heron. Our good Phillip. friend Philip Heron's grandson was grandson. along. And that White River is low this year. In fact, all the rivers and sloughs are low compared to what they normally are out there and uh the dog somehow got down over this very steep bank i don't know where he fell down there or he got down at a different place and trailed around the lake or what but he was stuck he couldn't he wouldn't move you know well he's actually treat steve he was actually treeing up the bank i think he thought the coon went up the bank and went in the hole and he was barking treed uh, he okay. didn't go left or right. He stayed in the same spot. And then when right. they finally got there, well, we had to call a friend of ours to get him to come over at 2 o'clock in the morning with a boat, put the boat in and go up the river. And of they drove right to the dog, loaded him up. But he was actually treeing up that bank, either barking, trying to get out. But Trey thought he was treeing. He thought he had the coon treed in that bank. But anyway. Well, just before we went out, yeah, yeah, it did. So that no, but that's that's good to to if for those of you who are aspiring to go out there to have the access to some water rescue because <laughs> you can get in those situations. Uh, well, there was that. Uh, of course, when I got out there, my four wheeler wouldn't run. I talked about how I like this used stuff and all that, and <laughs> I get out there for some reason it'd start fine, but it wouldn't idle. I wouldn't run; it wouldn't take it idle fine, but it wouldn't take the gas. So anyway, it's in the shop now. But so I didn't get to use that. So, but thank goodness we had a a, a big side by side there that Mark Miller brought out, and and uh, we made use of that. So I had an Uber driver all week. Yeah. For me, sometimes, uh, Steve, sometimes I might wait. Sometimes I'll just idle and it won't take the gas. You know, the older you get, you, you get think? that. Yeah, I know so. <laughs> I don't think I know so. <laughs> well, now, one, you one know, thing, that's a... One wait. thing that happened to Steve Kesson on the way home after he left here, going on to Florida, he had a blowout on his trailer. Trailer tire blew out yeah. on the trailer, and he was on the side of the interstate having to get it, get it, get the four wheeler off the trailer and get it jacked up. And he did have a spare, luckily. <laughs> yeah, he told me a yeah. four wheeler messed up, then he had a blowout. He had all kinds of trouble. Didn't he? Yeah, oh, it kind of reminds me of that one year we went out to that black and tan reunion at Mariana that they mm-hmm. hold every Thanksgiving. And, while we were out there, I had a flat on the trailer, and then Jarvis Humphers ended up, he had flats on both sides of his trailer, I think. Yeah. Ended up after to leave it sitting in a field. 
Yeah. And then Tam Young, another well-known coon hunter, uh, was there, and he had broke the steering column on his uh, Kawasaki mule yep. and had it all patched up with a ratchet strap. You remember that, Nubbin? <laughs> yeah, had a rapid ratchet strap. Ratchet strap. God, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coon hunters back. will survive, you know. We will survive. <laughs> Well, we also had an instance when the dogs kind of blew out through the country and we ended up having to drive around on the highway and get them. And so we had some, some, you know, interesting situations, but overall it's, uh, it's just so much territory that you don't get into a whole lot of that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think anybody. Yeah. In the end, you know, it was all us in, and a good time was had by all, you know, and it was a good time. But we we ate really good, didn't we, Steve? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the main event for me <laughs> every year is to go for the food, you know, because, oh, boy. Yeah. Randy one Smith, night, the missus. Yeah, go ahead. I said one night we had some soup the first night, and then the next night we had fried crappie. Hush puppies and and, and uh, French fries and coleslaw. coleslaw. Mm-hmm. And the next night we had fr- fried frog legs, onion rings, and coleslaw. And the next yeah. night we had crappie again and had rattlesnake with it. Randy <laughs> had killed a big rattlesnake and skinned it and brought it out. And I told him to bring it because I've ate rattlesnake three or four times. And because we cut the back strap out of it. Cut it in about three or four inch long pieces and flattened it with a saucer and breaded it and fried it just like the fish. And everybody ate the rattlesnake. Some of them wouldn't eat it, but it was good. I hope, and I hope it was legal. Yeah. <laughs> I well, I, I hope if, it was. If too. it was, <laughs> what was that guy's name? Joe Smith. <laughs> yeah, his name was Joe Smith. Yeah. That was- hey, and Keston, we also had one morning for breakfast, Mark. Miller, you know, he told us about killing that bear, I think, on an episode or two back. He brought us some bear sausage. Really? And it was peppered up and all, and that was pretty darn good, I thought. It was good, almost as good as Tennessee Pride. Yeah, now we like that Tennessee Pride sausage. (laughs) That's right, I do. Do they sell that in the stores in Virginia? Yes. I always remember my my dad from Tennessee and hickory smoked country sausage is kind of like a a specialty there. And it is in Virginia, too. I know smoked hams and all that's a big thing. But they had this little guy on the commercials, he'd say, take home a package of Tennessee pride. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. See, so you, spell, you spell Tennessee with the number 10 and then the letter E and then the letter C. That's how you spell Tennessee. It's not Tennessee. It's Tennessee. Well, it all it's sounds so- like good food. I believe the only thing that I'd have had problems eating would have been the rattlesnake. I don't believe mm-hmm. that. You should have heard Trey Perrin. <laughs> Trey, Trey said he wasn't going to eat anything it had, it had anything to do with poison, although it was only in the mouth. <laughs> but, uh, after we ate it, I reached out like I was striking at him. You know. <laughs> hey, there's a video on. I can't remember if it's on Facebook, TikTok, something. 
and they had a rattlesnake, and they had skin it, gut it, and everything. It wasn't nothing but a four-foot-long piece of meat, and that thing was still coiled up striking. It, it will. Yeah. It, it'll, a snake will, will move him around. If you cut his head off, it'll move around for hours. But they, they had cut his head off, skin it, gutted it, and everything. I mean, it was ready to throw on the skillet, and it's still moving. I just couldn't handle eating that. Well, I guess yeah, you couldn't only, hit a moving target, huh? <laughs> yeah, the only place his poison is in his mouth anyway. So, hmm. you oh. cut his head off. You cut his head off. Ain't no poison left. But I think the general consensus was the rattlesnake was actually better than the frog legs, and the, I do like frog legs. Yeah, Man, frog they legs, were good. They were they excellent. Was, it was all good. As a and I ate too huh? much, Cass, and I gained four or five pounds while I was out no there. <laughs> this week I've been sort of slacked off on my eating. I need to lose it because I couldn't even get my pants buttoned up. <laughs> well, we had a, a – I brought a big jug of homemade, what we call it, calls hamburger soup. Yeah. And that was a pretty good hit. And Mark's wife sent out some white chicken chili. And we had yep. that the first night. And, of course, I had to make some cornbread to go along with that uh, soup. And, and and Morris Hardy makes some hush puppies that are just out of sight good. I mean, oh, yeah. with the little jalapeno in them, little pieces. And so, yeah, we don't go hungry. And then we didn't even mention breakfast, which is gravy and biscuits every morning, scrambled yeah. eggs, fried sausage, yeah. uh, some nubbin broth, some Homemade muscadine jelly. Ooh, that stuff was good. Really good. So, what, what yeah. about today, the past time? Well, when you're old like us, we always, well, the routine, we can talk about that now, but we used to get up. First thing you do is take care of the dogs, check them out, make sure they got water, and feed them a little, however Everybody feeds a little different, I think. And then mainly we just kind of knock around, go to town, anything we need in DeWitt, which is about 15 miles away, and uh, pick up things like that. There's a sporting goods store in DeWitt, Arkansas, called Webb's. That's, I call it a mini uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro. I mean, they got a good selection of stuff. No, they do. High, high end stuff in there. They got a big archery section. Of course, a big, you know, supplies and clothing equipment for waterfowl hunting is a big thing. Deer hunting. All kinds of good brands of outdoor clothes, boots, ammunition for anything you need, I guess. It's just a great, great place to go. I always go in there and look around and end up spending money usually. But So we just do stuff like that or maybe go out and scout for uh, places to hunt that we haven't hunted before. You know, and that, that's kind of what we do. But we eat about 4 o'clock, don't I think, about when we have supper. And, and then it gets dark about 5.30, I believe. Am I right, Nub? Yeah, 5, 5.30. I always like so to get there by dark anyway. The rule, yeah, we always drag Try to meet nubbin. them others to the spot. <laughs> Nubbin's always hurrying us. Come on, we got to go, we got to go. But uh, 
it's uh, it, it's short days, really, you know. And well, we, we try get to back take in a nap. I always try to take yeah. a nap moving in the middle of the day. Of course, Keston Young, yeah. he don't take naps in the daytime. No. Do you, Keston? You take naps? No, I, but I I don't. Well, it depends. If I got something I got to do, I get up pretty early. But if I ain't got nothing to do and I've hunted all night, I'll sleep till about ten o'clock. Ten. Well, you'll mix miss breakfast because we usually eat about what nine something like that. Yeah, there's somebody I, always stomping up and down the hall waking me up. <laughs> yeah, but no, I can hunt all night long. I can start at dark and go to daylight. Well, I used to do that too. I remember me years too. ago we would turn loose one time after daylight every Saturday morning, hunting on Friday night because we worked during the week. But yeah. On Friday night, we'd turn loose one time after daylight and then get home about nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. This is, as uh, you know, this is the Gone to the Dogs podcast. I'll use this little opportunity to plug my book, Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey. It's uh, 200 pages, 22, I believe, chapters of all about coon hunting, about my years at the registries and all the years that I've been uh, addicted to this sport. It is available online at stevefielderbooks.com. I also have a hat called Gone to the, with the Gone to the Dogs logo. It's a, 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 a trucker's cap or ball cap, you might call it. Uh, solid front, mesh back. Uh, each of those items are normally $25. If you want to buy one for somebody for Christmas, you better hurry. I've got a special bundle price for $40 for both of them. Uh, stevefielderbooks.com. And that brings up, Nubbin, when we were down there scouting in the uh, South Unit the other day, uh, we ran into a fella that was there just getting his camp set up and he had a walker female there and uh he uh you weren't with me though that was mark and me wasn't it yeah though? mark mark yeah yeah but you were you were part of this story because <laughs> well the guy came over to the truck and we were talking to him there really nice fella he said he just hunts out of his truck and drops his dog you know along the road there in places he said he tried to stay off those trails to stay out of the way of the other hunters. But anyway, he looked at my hat and said, gone to the dogs. And he said, what's that all about? He said, I was downtown earlier today, and I saw two fellas with those hats on like that. And, of course, he was talking about DeWitt, Arkansas. And I, the best I can figure, the guys were Nubbin and Keith Durkee or down there uh, – but <laughs> I started to be smart, and I'd say, well, it's a secret, and if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. But, you know, <laughs> I thought, well, nah, this is a nice guy. But so it, the the word's getting around, gone to the dogs. And I think Trey Perrin picked up on it through the weekend. He was always saying, where's us? so-and-so? Where's it? He'd say, they're gone to the dogs. <laughs> so we yeah, always have good it's a good time. You need to interview Trey, put him on the podcast one day. Oh, yeah, definitely. That young man is never at a loss for words. Oh, no. He, he, <laughs> he I guarantee you he'll fill this hour, hour and a half up with no <laughs> problem. <laughs> but, uh, 
He's a hunter. I'll say that oh, yeah, for he Trey. He'll follow his up. dog. Oh, yeah, he will. He'll be gone to the dogs. And he's been doing That's, that since he's about 10 years old. I remember when his daddy would bring him to black and tan days or one of the PKC hunts. And here's this little dude with this real high pitch voice. You hear it all over the grounds. Oh yeah. yeah <laughs> that I've was Trey. Trey, all, Trey and Jamie all their life. In fact, I used to hunt with Trey's granddaddy years ago before he passed yeah. away. But so yeah. I've been knowing him just, they just like family. Okay. I'm going to open a can of worms here. Uh, <clears throat> and we'll see where it gets us. It may get us fired or whatever. But uh, and I will before. mention real quickly uh, the W Hunting Supply, du Supply dot com. Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, all the staff out there, they do a great job of providing anything that a hounds person needs: apparel, supplies. Uh, electronics they own they all always service what they sell they got a great line of books uh on their website and all and we want to thank them for allowing us to do this every week dusupply.com uh i want to talk a little bit about dog food and i'm you know it's kind of like uh, blondes and brunettes or Chevys and Fords. Uh, everybody likes something different. And, uh, and there's a lot of talk about uh, the, this dog food and that dog food and which one's the best. And, and there tends to be trends. Uh, I've observed this myself over the years. I've seen a brand get hot for a while. Everybody's going to it. Everybody's got to have it. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then first thing you know, something else comes along. And we're experiencing that a little bit. Somebody at the door? I heard somebody knock on the door there. Yeah, but that came from <laughs> Anyway, uh, we were talking, Kest, and you and me. We've got a couple of dogs together. Uh, if it weren't for you and for Mark Miller, I guess I wouldn't have any coon dogs. But I partner with you on two Walker females. One of them's a puppy. Well, they're both pups, really. But one's now past a year old. And uh, we've been talking about dog food. And I'm going to just kind of lay this out here. And I certainly don't mean to uh, criticize or belittle or in any way degrade or disparage anyone from using any brand of dog food. But the brand that I have always used and depended on and loved and still do has gotten so expensive that I can't feed it. I went and bought a bag of ProPlan puppy chow. It's a chicken-based formula. For this, and that's what we fed this dachshund that we have here. He's just now a year old. $70 for a 30-some pound bag at Tractor Supply. $70 for a bag of dog food. Um, I know that a lot of people are not paying that much money. They're buying other feeds uh, 
and rightfully so. I love Purine. I've been I I love those people. I went to that to their research farm years ago, and I saw the n- amount of money that they put into research and development and all of that stuff. And I said then, and I still stand by it, if they're not producing the best dog food out there, they sure are missing a lot, I mean, wasting a lot of money because they sure do put the money into the to the uh, uh, process of building their food. And so this is not a criticism of Purina's product in any way, shape, or form. In fact, Nubbin, I believe you feed Purina to Kate, don't you? I do. I feed the Purina dog chow. I feed the lamb flavored. She seems to like that better. But, you know, I I just have one dog. I used to keep three or four all the time. But the older I get, I have one dog, and that's all I need. Uh, and I, I still, I used to buy the 50 pound sack, uh, years ago, but now with just one dog, I buy the 18 pound sack and, you know, when I feed it up, I go get another. Uh, I don't know. Really, somebody, Keston asked me a while ago what it costs. I don't know. I don't really remember what it costs, but I, when I get it, I just pick up a bag with my groceries and pay for it. But, you know, I like, I like Purina and I, and Kate does. If I hunted every night, like Keston or like Trey and like a lot of folks, I'd have to get some high-powered feed with, you know, more protein in it. But I just, you know, I'll be 82 my birthday, and I don't hunt as much as I used to. But I still try to go one, two nights a week. So, And mm-hmm. the dog stays good and healthy on it. So that's all I can say about it. Well, you know, and and that's I think the way most people are, uh, you know. And I'm going to go ahead and continue to feed it to this doctor because he doesn't eat much. It takes him a long time to eat thirty-seven or whatever that poundage is on that bag now. And I I can afford to do that, but do I want to do that when I can maybe buy a feed that's as good or that he would do as well on it for less money? And I know that advertising has to come into play and a lot of things. And I'm probably going to get some criticism from some of my buddies uh, well, in the Purina organization. Let me say this. about You know, a dog will eat turnip grains. If you feed it to them for about three weeks, they'll start eating it. So they'll eat anything, but it's not necessarily good for them. But they'll eat turnip grains after a while. <laughs> yeah. Keston, what are your thoughts? I think I've always fed the Purina, and, well, I always have up until today. I bought a different type today, but the reason I I don't feed the Purina 1 or the Purina Pro Plan, I feed the Purina 1 because I buy it at Walmart, and they don't have the Pro Plan. So I ain't never had to – I ain't never tried the Pro Plan, but I'm just looking for something that my dog can hold up a little better on. He – he does all right hunting three or four nights a week, but when you start hunting him six, seven nights a week, he starts looking pretty poor. So I've tried something more different this time. Well, I know that down through the years, uh, I have uh, – somebody's trying to get a hold of me, and it's a bad time. The United States is calling me. You think I ought to take it? No. I love to hit the 
green button where you they think that I've answered and they got a sucker on the line. Then I hit that red one. That's that's the fun part. (laughs) But anyway, um, Old Hoss lived to be almost 12 years old. When I got Hoss, he was three months old. Kevin Lundholm up in Ohio told me he was feeding Diamond Puppy Chow. And he'd send a bag of it down. And soon as that, well, not a bag, but just a plastic bag. And another thing that he, he sent along, he said his wife had been giving him these old Roy peanut butter dog biscuits. And I wrote an article about that in American Cooter Magazine. Old Hoss had two or three of those every day of his life for the entire time I owned him. I fed, like you said, uh, Keston, I fed Purina 1 to that dog for probably a, more than 11 years. That's all he had. I didn't try to switch. I would sometimes go from a, from a, a, a veal or lamb to a chicken base back and forth, but it was always Purina 1. That dog uh, had very no health issues related to feed that I know of for his whole life, and he had a mouth when he was nearly 12 years old that looked like a three-year-old dog. He still had all his front teeth. They weren't worn down into the to the quick. They weren't, you know, he had a little tartar back in the back, uh, back of his mouth. But, uh, and I attributed that a lot to those dog biscuits because they were crunchy, you know. But I had great, have always had great success with Purina. I guess the bottom line I'm saying here, from my standpoint, is I just wish they could get the price down to where more people could afford it because I think it's a good feed. But now, we've been talking about uh, here feeding, and I think that's what you picked up today, Kesson, was value pack. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's. And why was it that we decided to get value pack? Well, it's thirty-eight dollars for fifty pounds, and if you buy the Purina one, it's I want to say it's thirty-seven pounds for fifty-six dollars. But why did we have to go to value pack? Is that uh, because we we couldn't get what Joy? I was was going to go for, (laughs) but no Joy dealers around me. I mean, they are, but they're an hour, hour and a half up the road. And that's the only two options we had is Value Pack or Purina. So, yeah, yeah. And you know. Or Old Roy. Or Old Roy, right. yeah. <laughs> and we'll try the Value Pack. I'll try it for about two months. And if I don't like it, yeah. go back to Purina. And, uh, it's just, I, you just don't get much of the Purina. I mean, the biggest bag Walmart sells here where I'm at is 37 pounds. And that just don't last very long with three mm-hmm. dogs. Yeah, you have to go, I think, to Sam's Club. Maybe you can get the bigger bags or whatever. I don't even know if you can buy ProPlan in Sam's Club. I, I don't know. Uh, well, I but, uh, got online, and I started to just start ordering my dog food and getting the Purina ProPlan. And uh, it just seems like so much trouble to have to do all that mm-hmm. when I can run across the road and buy a bag. Well, yeah, that's it. And convenience is a big part of today, uh, of our lives today, because time is money. 
if you're you know running up and down the highway you're you're spending money because of the gas prices thank you brandon uh but uh it's uh you know convenience is a big factor and uh so anyway i would encourage my friend chip Kozer out there with joy to to uh, step up the game a little bit on these dealer networks and and get more of these guys out here. If if they're wanting joy, then then they need to be able to get it. And I realize it's not all that easy. It's all a big a big uh, picture, you know. And we really have this supply chain problem in this country right now is hurting a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And so. you know, value pack versus perina. I know people that right here that buy hunt and stuff that feed value pack, and I know people that feed perina. And, you know, for the price difference, I really don't see one one man's dogs looking better than the other. They all look good. So they can't be too awful much of a difference. Because these guys bear hunting, I mean, they're hunting a lot. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I mean, they're a lot more active than a coon dog. And- well, I know Mark that's on with us sometimes, Mark Miller. Uh, he feeds Value Pack. And... uh I have never fed it, you know, personally. Of course, it's been a while since I've had a dog uh, uh, here. But anyway, that's our little thing on dog food, a little bit of a rant, I guess, a little bit of a complaint about the prices of dog food. Of course, uh, I went in the supermarket, public supermarket here in Florida, Port Ritchie, yesterday, picked up a dozen and a half of Extra large eggs, hen eggs, nine dollars and fifteen cents, I believe it was, for a dozen and a half eggs. Man, that's crazy. That's terrible. Yeah, that is crazy. And and just a dozen was over six dollars. So if I'd have bought two of those, that would have been twelve dollars for. Well, actually, a dozen and and a half. It'd have been no, that would have been about the same. It'd have been nine dollars plus. So anyway, it is what it is, fellas. But we gotta hopefully we we'll do something because the cost of feeding hounds has really gone up. The cost of going to the woods uh, has gone up in terms of the cost of gasoline. If you've tried to buy a new pickup truck lately, yeah, well, forget that. Uh, the, there's no new pickup trucks in my future. I can, I can tell you that for sure. So anyway, it's all economics and it's not good right now. And, and I hope it gets better. All right. Let's talk about puppies. Just a minute. We got a little time here and then we're going to wrap this up. How old do you say nubbin that it would be the best age to start fooling with a pup? Well, now, it's been a long time since I raised a pup, but what I used to do when they was four or five months old, I'd start walking to the woods with them, not taking them coon hunt, just walking them in the woods, walking, wading in the creeks and the branches or getting them used to water, just playing with them. And then when they got six, eight months old, sometimes I might take them a little bit coon hunt, but I'd just turn them loose one time. Let them see what the other dogs are doing. 
And usually by the time they're 10, 11 months old, they're going to hunting and running some, but I wouldn't hunt them, you know, wouldn't hunt them very long till they got a little older because I think you can burn a pup out. And, and that's what I always try to do. I might use a cage cone or a hide and have put down a drag when they was young, but I wouldn't do that very much either. And then if I turned the cone loose, I wouldn't let them see, see me turn them loose maybe the first time or two. After that, I would turn a coon loose and go back and get the dog and just walk walk him across the track. Because I don't think you need to turn many loose and let them see you turn a coon loose. And that's the way I always started mine. Well, Keston, I know that you are, uh, you have a puppy that we purchased together uh, out of the Frogger dog that's pretty popular right now. And uh, how old is she now? We figure up she's about three and a half months old, isn't she? Yeah, she's coming four months old, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Now, you have been, <coughs> I know that you really haven't fooled with her in terms of trying to get her to start. Uh, but you have been taking her along, haven't you? Yeah, I'll take her. Uh, I don't take her every night I go, maybe two nights a week just to get her out and what, teach her how to get through fences, cross creeks, you know, just that sort of thing. Just, I guess, but just being used to being out in the dark. Yeah. And I think the important thing that guys out there may be getting a nice pup this winter uh, is to remember is, you know, just take it slow with them. Don't try to push them, you know. He, he, <laughs> You see parents of children, you know, they they enroll them in kindergarten right away. They're, they've got plans that that kid's going to be the valedictorian of the class. So they push, 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 push. Push them into sports, push them into soccer, football, baseball, basketball, you know, tennis, golf. you, you got to do this. you got to do that. Push, push, push. Unfortunately, a lot of those kids don't want to do all those things. Not that they're bad. You know, I think it's good for kids to be involved in things in school. But anyway, the point being, I think you can do too much too soon with a pup. And as Nubbin says, you can burn them out. But if they're natural and they're progressing at their own pace, and, you know, I'm also a proponent of letting them go, you know, not holding them back. But um, And, you know, that. Taking her out there like that, when I do take her, I don't expect nothing out of her. It's mainly, you know, just exercise. Like I was saying, getting her out, going through fence and stuff. But, you know, I turn them loose and, you know, she'll take off. I mean, she'll already go 200, 250 yards before she comes back. But I don't get all excited and start screaming. I don't call her back. I pretty much just ignore her. I let her play. She'll pick up a stick, run with it, and fall and barrel roll. Uh, she, she's just learning stuff. Other night, she got shot by a fence the first time. <laughs> I mean, walked right up to it and just smelled it and just stuck that nose right to it. Telling <laughs> <laughs> you, pretty rough. And, you know, I just sort of ignored her, and it went two or three minutes, and she was back to chewing on my ankles and running around again, back over smelling that same fence. I thought, yeah, she's gonna get it again right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you remember John Wick's book? He showed you how you just run a wire off of a fence, electric fence and put a deer gland in it. You know, 
and the puppies would come on and smell that deer gland, you know, and before they get a rude awakening, you know, and that was a method he used to break them off deer before they ever started with deer. So yeah, I, I've never done that personally, but it sounds like it'd work. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've been hunting with people that <clears throat> had puppies, got them when they're just weaned and throw them in a kennel and they get seven, eight months old and they decide they're going to take them hunting and they take them out and here they are eight months old and they're running up and down a fence. Don't even know how to go underneath the fence. I mean, stuff like that drives me crazy. <laughs> it does. Yeah. They can't learn just sitting in the kennel, you know? Well, well, I think there's been an awful lot of good puppies probably didn't get a chance because of that and then you get those and we won't elaborate too much on it but one like we got right now that's been given every chance in the world and it's been slow going you know yeah. so they're none of them are alike uh and that by the way it's not that frogger pup it's another pup but they're none of them are alike and uh i guess we just just have to have that mindset when we get a, a nice puppy that I'm going to let that puppy get out there and learn everything it wants to learn. I'm going to let it have the opportunity, and then it's up to them. That junior pup was the last one I think you trained, Nubbin. Uh, how old was he when he started? Well, when he the was black and tan. When he was three or four months old, he was trying to hide and in a drag, and then. Later on, uh, you know, he'd go with the dogs and run, and then he he was a tree dog from from the time he was a puppy. Uh, and then I started hunting him when he was eight or nine months old, pretty regular, and he started treeing his own coon. I think made a night champion. He's ten and a half months old, and I never made one like that. But then he went sour after that, so so I had to call him. Somebody else mm. has got him. Yeah, somebody else is feeding him that $70. Do what now? I said somebody else is feeding him that $70 a bag dog food. I guess. I don't even know who's got him now. But, uh, yeah. But he, he, now, I had an English dog years ago at six or seven months old, was training his own cone and doing it right. But, you know, yeah. that that don't ever pup's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I ain't experience this, y'all, but. The way I look at it is you can't force a dog to do anything. It's just like that little frogger puppy. I take it out and Clyde trees a coon. I shoot it out to him. I don't I don't go grabbing that dead coon and throwing it on top of that puppy, you know. If it wants to go down there and get it, let it go down there and get it. And uh, I mean not alive. I'm not going to grab it alive. But you know, when it, if it shows interest, that's fine. If it don't, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I ain't gonna go down there and I've seen people grab dead coons and slap them around with it and throw it at them and well, I'll tell you a funny little story. It goes back to the White River. You know, Mark Miller has taken that fever pup, and he's had good luck with him in the night hunts. Won six casts altogether, five UKC and one PKC. But, and kind of, you know, been, been uh, proud of the fact that he never had a hold of a coon. Well, the first track we got the night of the White River, we cut loose. Well, you were with us, weren't you, Nubbin? We had yeah. Kate on that first. Turned them loose, and they struck right there right off the bat, didn't they? 
Yep, right up to the left. Yeah, yeah. And uh, right along the, the uh, what we call Kansas Lake there. And they ran that track down there. How, they didn't go very far. How far did they go? You remember? The one that caught on the ground? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't 50 steps. You know, right that the, they struck and went down that lake and caught the thing. I think the well, coon actually went out on the log when the dog got him. I don't know if he thought he was trying to get away from him or was going to swim the lake or what, but, you know, they caught it in the water. Yeah, and by the time I got there, the coon had fever's lip stretched out about eight inches. <laughs> And he was not a happy boy. Uh, he was screaming, <laughs> turn him loose. Let, but boy, I mean, it. the old saying, he had blood in his eye. Well, he literally did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, it's, uh, but now, you know, and, and Fever didn't, he wasn't any great standout or anything at all like that for the week. He was always in there. He was always one night. He fell in love with Kate. He he wanted to be right, wanted to be her shadow. I've watched him on the Garmin. I have Kate in my Garmin as well. That's Nubbins' dog, and and he was right there with her on that that evening. But for the most part, you know, he's always been a puppy. He likes to get kind of treat off to himself if he can. But he was always when you turned him loose, he went hunting. He was nine. 900 and some yards a uh, couple times there one night what but that one there was one night that he really didn't want to hunt all that well but the all the other nights he hunted plenty good enough but the trees he was making in fact uh i don't know if this was kosher or not but he and kevin heron's dog treed in a snag and uh I think that was the night we were hunting. May have been hunting with Trey. I, I don't remember, but uh, we just pushed that snag over, and there was exactly zero coons or animals of any type in that snag. <laughs> so they flat, you know, all those hollow trees you make are, are not coon trees, you know. Some right. of them are dens, some of them are legitimate dens. Then you tree on a big tree that's broke off, and you can see the top there where the, it's been lightning or wind or something's broke it off, and it's laying over there. And it looks like there could be, you know, should, and the track went in there hot and all those things. You got to give the dog the benefit of the doubt. But anyway, he didn't look real great at all at the White River, but. Now, since he's been back home, he's hunted two nights and he's three coons both nights by himself. Well, so, he's, back, he's back home in his in his hilly country. He wasn't used to all them swamps and water over there. Well, you know, Nubbin, we don't talk about that a lot, but that is a factor for dogs. You know, being used to hunting in a certain place. Now, I know there's dogs, and we talk about it in the competition world, that travel well. They seem to be the same dog anywhere you cut them loose. But it really is a different ball game. It's a different deal out there. It's not, you know, dogs have to, many times they have to go hunting to strike a track. And it's flat country and there's a lot of water, uh, you know, and, and den trees and all that stuff. So we'll give him that much, you know. He's hunting 13 months old, hunting in strange territory with strange, well, not altogether with strange dogs because 
Mark's dogs were there too. But anyway, well, fellas, we have uh, talked here for almost uh, an hour and 24 minutes. Is there anything that's burning down in your soul that you just need to tell people? You just can't stand it if we don't get that word out. Well, the word for me is I've got to help my wife finish decorating for Christmas. Oh, there it goes. We got family coming here Saturday week. There'll be about 30 of us here to eat. And my wife wants everything prim and proper and every star in place and every red ball in place. <laughs> like a possum right now at me. Uh, that's the way she is. She's got to have everything fixed up. And uh, when so you we, go to Becky Moore's house, you think you walked through the pages of Southern Living magazine. I can promise you. Well, she always likes beautiful. Have, she likes to have it looking good, and I've got to help her finish doing that. All right. Well, we're going to let you go do that before you get in the doghouse. What about you, Keston? What's on your mind? Anything? I just hope it quits raining so I can go hunting tonight. Well, that's right. Well, here we are still in the in the Christmas season, and we're going to continue with these informal visits through the holidays, let people be. This is the time of year when podcast listening is not the number one priority for everybody because a lot of people are off work or they're Christmas shopping, their hunting seasons are in full, uh, uh, full bloom and all, but... Uh, anyway, whatever you're doing out there, do it safely. Uh, remember, there's somebody that loves you. He died on the cross for you. And That's until right. we see you on That's this... Hey, That's what uh, this season's all about. Well, you're right, Nubbin. For sure it is. And that's why we celebrate it. But guys, thank you for being on with me today. And uh, I really enjoy any time I get to talk to you guys. For those of you out there in podcast land they ask you where's that old war out coon hunter fielder at tell him he's gone to the dogs